We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ, and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Killed for their beliefs about this issue and even are still being killed today around the world because of their declaring their faith in Christ through baptism, then asking the question, what is baptism, is vitally essential for you and me. If we're to walk with Christ and understand what the church is and what it's to be about, then we have to answer this question, what is baptism? And so I'm going to try and do that by answering five questions today, and if you know me, we we may just get through the first. So uh, we're going to try and answer the questions, what is baptism? How is baptism to be done? Who should be baptized? When should we be baptized? And why should we be baptized? And so I I hope we can get to all of those questions, but if we don't, if we just answer the question, what is baptism? Then I think you'll begin to see a clear picture of how we would answer the others. And so we're going to spend the bulk of our time answering that question, what is baptism? And hopefully we'll get to tackle some of the others as well this week or maybe next. So what is baptism? Uh, Baptism is a public declaration of our faith in Jesus Christ and our commitment to follow him. So turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And you can also place a bookmark in Romans chapter 6. So Acts chapter 2, Peter has just preached uh, what was the first sermon of the New Testament church. So Jesus has just poured out his spirit on his people, and Peter has preached this amazing gospel message where he's proclaimed the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we can find in him. And in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36 and 37, we read this. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Would you pray with me? God, right now I ask that you would open our eyes and our ears that we might see and hear the beauty of the gospel as it's proclaimed and declared in this picture of baptism. God, would you help us to see all that you've done for us in Christ, how we see the deep, deep love of Jesus in going down to the depths of death for us, how how we live in freedom because of our union with Christ and his death and resurrection. Because of what you've done for us, God, we can have new life. 
And so, God, today, if anything else, God, I pray that you would help us to see the hope that we have in Jesus, in whose mighty and awesome name we pray. Amen. So what is baptism? Baptism, the first thing we say is it's this, this public declaration of our faith in Christ. And it's, a, it's also a commitment, a public commitment to follow Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 2, what we see is that as Peter is preaching the gospel, the people, as they're hearing it, they are cut to the heart. Did you see that? That means they're beginning to understand what Peter is saying. They're beginning to believe this message that he's proclaiming. They're cut to the heart. At a heart level, they're being transformed and changed by the message that they're hearing. God is doing something as his word is preached, as the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us in dying for our sins and being risen from the grave three days later that we might have the hope of new life and forgiveness in him. As Peter proclaims this message, God does something in the hearts of the people. He brings new life. He brings faith. He brings belief in this message. They're cut to the heart. And then you'll notice what they say is, is they, they look at Peter and the rest of the apostles and they say, okay, now that we're beginning to believe, what do we do? He says, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. So Peter's instructions to these new believers in Christ as they are cut to the heart, as they're beginning to place their faith in Jesus, and they ask him, what do we do now? He says, repent, which means turn. It means to do a 180. It means the direction that you were headed in, you turn around and you begin to head in the other direction. It means you begin to stop following after yourself and your own desires, and you begin to follow after Jesus and all that he's called us to. Your, your heart begins to set its, its mind and its focus on Jesus Christ and follow after him. So Peter says, repent, turn from sin and from yourself. And then he says this, he says, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Peter, as, as he's answering these new believers, their, their first question, what do we do now? He says, walk in repentance, but declare your newfound faith in baptism. This is one of the first things that Christians should do is be baptized. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we're cut to the heart and we begin to understand the gospel, we, we turn from sin and from ourselves to follow Jesus, and we declare that publicly through baptism. We get baptized. This is what has been happening since the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. When, when this first gospel message was proclaimed, to these new believers, and it says thousands came to faith in Jesus Christ that day. Thousands were baptized and added to the church. And so Peter says, be baptized. Bap baptism is this declaration of faith where, where we're cut to the heart and we declare what's happening in us, what God is doing in us publicly. It's also a declaration of allegiance, so just like we declare our faith in Jesus through baptism, we declare also that we are primarily aligned with Christ. He is the one who determines our course in life. He is the one that we owe sole allegiance to. When we get baptized, we're making a declaration of who we belong to. 
And so in Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And listen to this next part. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Did you see that Jesus uses the similar phrase to what Peter said? When Peter answers this question, what shall we do now? He says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Jesus himself, as he's giving the Great Commission to his who is to his disciples, to the apostles, he's saying, go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so what does this in the name of phrase mean? Well, it, it means that in the name of is communicating an association or an allegiance. When you're baptized into the name of Jesus or into the name of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who are all equally and eternally God, we are declaring that we are associated with him. We're declaring that it's in his name that we belong. We belong to the king. We're declaring that Jesus is king and my allegiance belongs to him. That's what it means to be baptized in the name of. And so maybe you remember whenever you were a kid and, and you said the Pledge of Allegiance in class. And so at the beginning of class, you, you know, if it was like my school was, you, you all stood up and you put your right hand over your heart and you said the Pledge of Allegiance. And in that pledge, you were declaring that you belonged to America. You were an American citizen. You were declaring your allegiance to your country. And and similarly, when we look at baptism, it's this public declaration of where our loyalty lies, of of where we belong. It's, It's a declaration that Jesus is our king and our primary and sole allegiance belongs to him alone. And so as, as we think of allegiance and as we, as we even approach a, a, a new election year as Christians, we ought to remember what we declared when getting baptized. We ought to remember as we approach our culture and politics and voting and the decisions that we are faced with, tough as they may be, we ought to remember that our primary and sole allegiance lies with Jesus Christ, and that shapes everything that we do. Because Jesus is king, that means that my allegiance primarily lies with him. Even though, as as Christians, we're, we're, in a way, dual citizens. We belong to the kingdom of God, but we're also citizens in a, a geographical, physical country where we have responsibilities and, and we have responsibility to uh, submit to the governing authorities that God has established. When we think about our identity, you and I who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized, declaring that faith and our allegiance to him, this begins to shape everything, including our politics. See, the, the Christian is, is a Christian primarily. Not primarily a Republican or a Democrat. Not primarily a supporter of Trump or whoever will run against him in 2020. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And regardless of who we vote for or what decision we make when that comes, our allegiance to Jesus Christ, declaring that he is the king, which is what we declare in baptism, baptism, 
Declaring that he's the king shapes how we enter into those spaces where we make tough decisions. Because all of a sudden, it's not about what my party says. It's about what my king says. And we've got to allow such a public statement of faith and declaration and commitment that we're going to follow Jesus to shape everything we do in life, whether it's our marriage or our parenting or our politics or whatever arena you're in, whether it be the workplace or as you're coaching your kids in Little League, whatever it might be for you, your allegiance to Jesus Christ that you declared when you expressed your faith publicly in him through baptism is what ought to shape everything that we do. So baptism is this public expression of faith and a declaration of allegiance to King Jesus. And it's, it's public. That's a key aspect of this. When Peter in Acts chapter 2 preaches this message, there's thousands of people present. And as he tells these new believers in Christ to be baptized, they are baptized, thousands of them, with everyone able to see it. You see, baptism has always been this public declaration of faith throughout the history of the Christian church. Because the very nature of it, it requires someone else to be present. You can't baptize yourself, right? Somebody has to baptize you. So there has to be someone to witness it. There has to be someone to see that you are saying, I belong to King Jesus now. I'm following him. My faith and my hope and my trust are in him. You, you declare that to other people. The faith that God has done, has done and brought about inside of you is declared visibly before other people. This is how Christians have been doing it throughout Christian history. Baptism has always been public. Like we said earlier, there were uh, some of the early Baptists in the Reformation period were killed because of their beliefs about baptism, because it was public knowledge. And then I, I had the privilege of meeting a pastor from the Middle East at a, at a local gathering here in Louisville one time, and he told this story of his church and some of the believers there and, and their baptisms. And I, I remember clearly this one story he told us. Uh, he mentioned this lady in, in their church uh, who was a new member, and uh, they'll remain anonymous just for safety's sake, but... She, she came to faith out of a Muslim background. Her, her family was devout Muslims uh, following Allah. And, and, and she came to faith in Jesus Christ. And like Peter asked Christians to do in Acts chapter 2, she repented and was baptized. While at her baptism, her husband brought his phone and filmed it and sent it to her family members, thinking they'll get her. They'll punish her. They'll, they'll get her to see that this is wrong, that she shouldn't be doing this. And to his surprise, they were both on the run for their lives at that point because her family didn't see it the same way that he did. Uh, they saw it even more strictly that because he was associated with her, they were both enemies. And so they sought to kill both of them because his wife had declared her faith publicly in Jesus Christ. And they pursued them as they ran from their family. Their family pursued them to try and kill them, even as far as France. And what her husband noticed during this whole time is they're running for weeks and months, and their family's trying to kill them because of her baptism. 
what he began to realize is that there was a stark difference between the way that her church was still caring for them, sending them words of gospel encouragement and, and prayers that they had been praying for them and, 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 and getting in touch with them and providing any practical needs that they possibly could, even from afar. He began to see how, how her church was caring for them. And then he noticed the difference in how her family was trying to attack and, and take their lives. And you know what God did? I cry. <laughs> Her husband came to saving faith in Jesus Christ and declared his allegiance to him publicly through baptism. Because, friends, whenever we get baptized, it is a public statement that Jesus is king and he has done what we could not do for ourselves in pro- providing forgiveness of sins and cleansing from the way that sin has stained us and giving us new life to walk in in him. And make no mistake, you are making a declaration when you are baptized that Jesus is the one true king and you will serve no one else but him. And that's what this couple did. And her husband was brought to faith because of her (laughs) baptism and the way that the church began to care for this new member of their community, even as they were persecuted. See, baptism is a public expression of our faith and a commitment to follow Jesus. And it matters. And it has been this way throughout Christian history. But baptism is also a a physical symbol that proclaims these spiritual truths. And so baptism proclaims that we are united with Jesus Christ. Our faith in him unites us with him in his death as we go under the water, that's what's pictured, and then as we're lifted back out, our union with him in his resurrection is proclaimed. So this physical symbol proclaims something that's spiritually true for the Christian. But they've died with Christ and they've been risen to new life in him. And we're going to look at Romans 6 here in just a few minutes and how this is what it teaches. But baptism, it's kind of like a wedding ring. So those of you who are married, when you put your wedding ring on, it, and you know, maybe some of you have forgotten it and you're feeling a little bit awkward right now. That's okay. But when you put it on, it's this physical symbol that you belong to someone. It proclaims an an immaterial reality, that you've been united with your spouse. And similarly, when we go through the physical picture of baptism, it's proclaiming a spiritual union with Jesus, that his death was our death and his resurrection is our life. It's a physical symbol that proclaims spiritual truths like our union with him and his death and resurrection. And then it also proclaims that we're cleansed by Christ. So, so hopefully you and I, hopefully we shower most days, you know. And, and if not, then, you know, we can, we can talk later. But you need to shower each day because the, the dirt and the sweat that you pick up throughout a day, you need water to wash you clean, Right? Well, similarly, just like we need to be physically cleansed by, by water, we need to be spiritually cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to be washed in the blood, as we sang earlier. We, we need to be cleansed spiritually, just like we do physically. 
And baptism is this physical symbol that declares that we have been spiritually washed and made clean by the blood of Christ through his death and resurrection on our behalf. Here's what 1 Peter 3 says. It says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so look closely at what Peter's saying about baptism, because we can misread it really easily. He's not saying that the physical act of baptism is what saves you. He's not saying that just getting dunked in some water and lifted back up, all of a sudden you're clean spiritually. What he's saying is that baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's an expression of something that's immaterial. It's an expression of faith in what God has done in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. So Peter says baptism... It's an expression of saving faith in what Jesus has already done. And so it's this physical picture of a spiritual reality of what Christ has already done in you at a heart level. Paul speaks of the spiritual cleansing or washing like this. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And just as a side note, before we get to his punchline here, Christians, when we read this passage, we better notice something other than an addition to homosexuality. Because while Paul clearly teaches about homosexuality here, he also teaches about each and every one of us who don't struggle with that. He says each and every one of us, if you read through these, this list that he gives us, there's not a single one of us in this room who isn't hit. We are all in need of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us and bring forgiveness of sins. Not a single one of us isn't. And this list hits all of us. I mean, gosh, idolaters. Every one of us loves and places something in God's place that shouldn't be there. We, we all worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator. We all have this idolatry problem, and we all need what Jesus can do for us. Here's the punchline. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul says, This was true of you. But for the one who's trusted in Jesus, you've been cleansed. You've been made new spiritually. You've been washed by his blood. And so, baptism, it ought to remind us of this. Because it's a physical picture of what Jesus has done inside of us. He has washed us and made us clean by his blood. And so it it ought to remind us, for those of us who who struggle with guilt from remaining sin in our lives, that, that we just can't seem to beat. Friends, like Paul says, you have been washed in Christ. 
For those of us who, who struggle with remaining shame from suffering or abuse, friend, you have been washed in Christ. There is no sin that we commit or that is done against us that stains the one who is in Christ. We are made new and cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus. And baptism, using water, which is this cleansing imagery, symbolizes the spiritual reality. And also proclaims that we are a part of God's people. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. This is Acts chapter 10. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, so he's talking about Jews who had come with him, uh, as, they're, as they've just preached the gospel to Gentiles, to those who were not of Israel. Those who had come with Peter, they, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So notice, Peter points out that because the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit, because there was this spiritual reality present in them, they were certainly born-again Christians because they'd received the Spirit of God. And he says, just like the Jews who have received Christ who have received God's Spirit, so have the Gentiles who have trusted in Christ. And he says, because of this spiritual reality, because they'd experienced a spiritual baptism, no one could withhold water baptism from them. They were being added to Christ's church, which was visibly displayed for them and in baptism, as they took the step of declaring their faith publicly about what God had already done in them internally. Paul, he says this in 1 Corinthians 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so what Paul's saying here is that Christians, when they place their faith in Jesus Christ, they, they've experienced a spiritual baptism. In the spirit, they've been baptized into the body of Christ. And so whenever we're declaring our faith publicly through water baptism, we are declaring what is already true of us spiritually, that we have been made a part of Christ's body, the church, and now we're declaring it through water baptism, and we're entering into the local church. It's a visible picture of what God has already done in us for those who trust in Jesus. So, so how, how is baptism done, though? Because this, this is where Christians have disagreed throughout history. There's, uh, there's, there's a number of different ways. Uh, so some churches and some denominations will sprinkle. Some will pour water over you. And then as Baptists, we, we immerse. We, we dunk in water. And then the reason we do this is Romans chapter 6. So turn with me there, Romans chapter 6. Here's what we read. Here's what Paul says. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so, and so Paul, as he talks about baptism, he talks about Jesus' death and resurrection. And the reason that we believe that baptism should be by immersion, by this complete submerging one in water, lowering them down, submerging them completely, and then raising them back up shortly after that, is because it pictures the death and resurrection of Christ. And that by faith in him, his death becomes your death. His resurrection then becomes your life. That's what baptism is is picturing. And and by sprinkling or by pouring, we we don't have that same picture. Baptism is done by submerging one in water, symbolizing that they're united with Christ in his death, that Jesus died in your place. And then as they're lifted back up, it proclaims that because of Jesus' living after he was dead, he's resurrected from the grave, so too you and I can have life in him. That sin and death are not the end for us. It's, it's a symbol of the gospel message. And it, it's done ideally by immersion. The, the Greek word that's used for baptism in the, in the New Testament, ba- baptizo, it, it means to submerge or immerse something. In, in Acts chapter 8, when we read about the eunuch and Philip, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so they're driving along the road, and, and, and he's hearing the gospel for the first time as, as Philip proclaims it, and, and he believes And they see a body of water that is deep enough for them to wade into so that Philip can dunk him. He says, says, because there's water, I can be baptized. And so baptism in Scripture, in the book of Acts, and from the teaching about baptism in the gospel in Romans 6, is by immersion. It's by this complete submerging in water because it pictures Jesus' death and resurrection. So, So what about... Are, are there any exceptions to this, though? Well, I, I think there can be some exceptions to this. When there's, when there's not an adequate water supply to immerse someone in water, then, yeah, I think the, the church can talk about an alternative method. If, if you're in a context where you just don't have access to a big pool of water, then, then a church would have to talk about, okay, how do we do baptism now? And, and if you look throughout church history, you, you've seen some cases where this was present. But for most of us, we have access to bodies of water, whether it be a river or a baptistry in our local church or, or a lake. We have access to water where we can baptize according to what seems to be the pattern in the, the scripture. Another circumstance that might provide some kind of exception to this is that when someone's physically incapable of of going through with immersion. 
So someone can't get into the baptistry or, or someone can't go down into the river or the lake. Then, then the church can talk about, okay, what's an alternative method for baptizing this person so that they can declare publicly that they belong to Jesus and their faith is in him? And so there can be exceptions when, when immersion is not possible. But the scriptures teach that baptism is by immersion, and this is the pattern we see throughout the book of Acts. And the reason it does this is because of the gospel. It, it proclaims what's true about Jesus' death and resurrection for us. That when Jesus died, the old you died. That when Jesus was risen from the grave, the new you was risen to walk in the newness of life, as Paul says. This isn't like when, either when, when your friends used to dunk you at the pool and kind of hold you under, you know? Maybe you never had that terrible experience as a child, but I, I did once or twice, you know? But they dunk you and they hold you under and you're just like, let me up, you know? Baptism isn't like that. So any of you who are afraid that I'm just going to hold you under too long, that's, that's not what I'm going to do, I promise, you know? And, and, and the reason for that is not just so that you wouldn't be afraid, but because of what baptism pictures, you see, in baptism, we're lowered underneath the water briefly, and that's intentional. Because a baptism shows us that death is not the end for us. We briefly lower someone under, and then we lift them up right after that to show that there's life for those who trust in Christ, to show that death is not the end. It's, it's, it's all about what it's picturing and pointing us to, so, so if you still have questions about baptism today, after this, fine, but, but I hope it points you to the gospel. That's what it's made to do, is to visibly display for us the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. It, it ought to remind Christians why sin has no legitimate hold on you. Baptism should give us this incredible hope, especially when we feel stuck, especially when, when we're walking through life and, and we're stuck in temptation and, and we can't seem to break its grip on us, especially when we're, we're constantly afraid or, or in sorrow or, or we struggle with anger and conflict in our relationships. When we struggle in life and we look back to baptism, what we see proclaimed there is freedom in Jesus Christ from sin. We see that sin has no hold on you anymore. Even though you struggle against it now, what baptism proclaims is that for the believer in Jesus Christ, we have been united with him in a death like his and will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so this means that you and I, and when we're in Christ, we've died to sin. It no longer has a hold on us in the sense that it can determine our life. We don't belong to sin anymore. Sin does not own us. Jesus the King does. Our allegiance belongs with him, and we rest in him. And, and the newness of life that he has provided for us to walk in you see, baptism gives us this hope that there's something after sin and death and that in Christ you've been set free from its power so that you would walk in newness of life.
And so who should be baptized? If this is what baptism is, who should be baptized? Well, I think we've already said it, believers in Jesus Christ, those who have placed their faith in him, those who have trusted in him. Baptism is for believers. It's for those who can consciously express a a commitment to following Christ and, and who have declared that what Jesus has already done in me, that Jesus has washed me and made me clean, that Jesus has given me forgiveness of sins as I've trusted in his death on the cross. Baptism is meant to proclaim something that's already happened for us. We talked about salvation last week. Baptism happens after salvation. Jesus saves, and then we respond by repenting and being baptized, as Peter said. So baptism is for those who understand that Jesus has done this for us, and that this is true for me. So it's a decision that you have to make. Will you follow Jesus, and will you declare that publicly? that Jesus has already done this in me, that because of my trust in him, I died to sin. And because of his resurrection, I've been given new life, which means I belong to God, I always will, and he's given me the power already to walk in the newness of life that he's called me to. So the question for us is, not just what is baptism, but is this true of me? Have I placed my faith in Jesus? And have I publicly declared that I belong to him? And so if you have questions about baptism, or, or if you want to know more, or, or if, if you don't have questions, if, if you know that Jesus has done this in you, and you want to be baptized, then I would love to sit down and talk with you and figure out how we can get that done. And, and I hope you'll reach out. But as we consider these things and as we enter into worship one more time, can I just pray for us? Father God, we ask for your help. As we consider questions like what is baptism, we ask that you would make it clear for us. You would help us to understand exactly what it is that Jesus has done for us. And God, I I pray for my friends who have questions still, whether they be questions about baptism or or how that should be done or, or questions more fundamentally about who you are and what you've done for them. God, would you help them? Would you give them your wisdom? Would you, would you bring faith where there's not faith, where there's doubt? And God, would you help us who have believed and trusted in Christ and who have declared that faith publicly, would you help us to remember what baptism declares is true of us? That sin and death no longer have a hold on us, but that we have been risen to new life in Christ. God, give us strength as we remember that to fight against sin and to walk in holiness as we walk by your grace. We ask these things in Christ's name.